welcome to another episode of Don't Fuck With The Original. I'm your host, Casper. I am your other host, Becky Gremlin. Here to bring you all things spooky on Wednesdays because... <laughs> Wednesdays are for podcasts. Wednesdays are for podcasts. Well, that went nowhere. <laughs> I was like, I see where you're going, but it didn't It happen. didn't. And no. that's okay. That's okay. Podcast day, podcast day, podcasts all around. So, guys, welcome to our true episode, true episode crime. Yep. Got it. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's like that fucking meme you sent me. The thing that I want to say is, like, perfect, and then how I actually say it is, like, all fucked up. And you're like, why? It is our true crime episode tonight, and we're talking about somebody that probably not a lot of you know about, because I sure as hell didn't know anything about him. I didn't either. Totally random fine, but keeping in with the Christmas theme this month. Hats um, off to Becky for finding him. Hell yeah. Just a deep dive into the Google Let's give searches. Becky a round of applause. Little <laughs> 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 um, I went deep diving and I found a serial killer Santa. Now, he didn't allegedly admit uh, any of these crimes while dressed as Santa, but they did happen uh, around or after the holiday, and he was a working Santa throughout the years that the crimes were committed, and they were pretty fucked up. And the guy's name was Bruce MacArthur, and he was from Canada. It's kind of like a real-life Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yes. Ish. I need to watch that soon. Oh, so good. <laughs> it's again so good. soon i have seen it but it has been a minute it's one of those like it's been a long time i don't watch that one yearly around christmas like i should i need to i, I need don't to start doing either that. and i did a uh so if you guys listen to our last podcast you know uh that next week is black christmas so i'll obviously be re-watching them but i recently over the weekend watched uh the original and then the what was it two early 2000s 2006 five four? six something, like something that. around there remake and uh when michelle trachtenberg was he big <laughs> and you're like <laughs> there's like everybody was in that movie um that it was yeah like where the original one was was good in a way that it was different like ooh this is really creepy and then it's around Christmas time and then the way it ends and you're like, what? But there's these, there's so much left off about these two characters that are mentioned that the Billy and Agnes character that nobody, like who are they? Nobody knows who they are. So I kind of see where they were going with the 2000s one. Like introducing these characters that nobody talked about in the one in the seventies, but the way they introduced them, I'm like, like I don't, I, I just, I mean, I guess artistic credit. I mean, whatever. We'll get into that next week. I know, like, (laughs) I'm jumping the gun because I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. If you enjoy incest and cannibalism, this movie is for you. It is for you. (laughs) Like, all of it. But obviously we're seeing the newest one, which I think is, looks like a totally different it looks like a completely different rendition than 
even the first one. <laughs> like, it's still Black Christmas. It's still a college. It's still a sorority. But I think it's a, it's like a whole new... A whole new world. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. Wherever you can insert that, do it. Like <laughs> a whole new world. I just suggest. I just suggest. Because <laughs> if it works. I mean, it was kind of perfect. Just, if I can insert really a Disney was. song, I'm it gonna really fucking was. insert a Disney song. You have song. to, and you should. Everybody should. Under us. And if you don't like Disney, then <laughs> go fuck yourself. We don't like you. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. And that. But getting back to Bruce, <laughs> good old, good old little Bruce. Bruce. No, not good no, at all. He was not, this this is not was Bruce Campbell. This awful. is not a good this guy Bruce. Was terrible. Um, so this happened between 2010 and 2017. Um, and as always, we're going to reference Wikipedia, which is amazing. Um, Thank you, Wikipedia, for everything you do. You're amazing. Amazing. Yes, you. I donated to them last week. If anybody utilizes Wikipedia, especially college students, you need and cinephiles. And people with podcasts, you need to fucking donate to Wikipedia. And she's talking to me, too, because I still need to do that. No, and you're fine, and you will, and it's fine. And I'm sorry if people hear a weird dog whistle. I have a new laptop, and it likes to make this sound. And sometimes I can stop it, and sometimes I can't. And I apologize to your ears and your dogs. Um, The dogs are like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) The fuck? The fuck? The fuck is that noise? (laughs) Um, we also have a Dayton Daily News article that we pulled up from this year um, that gives us some recent information into the crimes because, like we said, this spans to 2017, and that was when one of the last crimes was committed. So the trial and everything was very recent. He was arrested in 2018, and then the trial came about this year. So this this is all pretty recent, too. Yeah. So of, of all things, for this to be... Something we've never heard of, have a connection to Christmas, and then also be something that happened fairly recently was like... Again, let's give it up for Becky. (laughs) We're simply... I love it. Oh, that's one of my favorite Christmas Oh my god, I know, it's so good. I heard it on the radio today and I was like... (gasps) The moon is bright. The spirit's up. We're here tonight. Oh, that's enough. <laughs> that was off key, but it's fine. And they were playing it on the Beatles channel. I was like, Oh my god, they what? Know what they doing? <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, that is not a serious XM plug. Uh, I just, I just have it, and it was awesome. Well, <laughs> I mean, awesome. Paul McCarthy. Paul McCarthy nailed it. <laughs> For Ganonens. <laughs> Moving on. Mary Chrysler. Um, Mary Crisis. <laughs> do you want to start? Do we want to... Sure. Wikipedia first. Wiki, wiki. Wiki, wiki. Okay, so I'm going to kind of start giving an overview about Mr. Bruce. Between 2010 and 2017, a series of men disappeared in Toronto, Canada. In the early part of the decade, the Toronto Police Service had created Project Houston a divisional tax force which linked the disappearance of three men of South Asian or Middle Eastern origin to church in Wesley, Toronto's gay village. The investigation was unable to determine if the disappearances were related or if a crime had actually been committed. In mid-2017, amid public speculation of a serial killer in church in Wesley... It's not Wesley, I'm sorry. Wellesley? 
Is it Wellesley? Yeah, it's actually Wellesley. Well, Wellesley. Okay. Yeah, Wellesley. My brain. It looks like Wellesley, but it's actually Wellesley. Yeah. My brain was like, let's just remove these letters. It's Wellesley. There's too many letters (laughs) in this word. Weasel Town. Yeah. (laughs) Evidence was gained from another missing person's investigation, which led. Wesselton. You had to do that. I just killed Becky by doing Weasel Town. Wesselton. Guys, in my defense, I just watched Frozen. Yeah, I know. And so now any Frozen reference, I'm like, no. You have no idea how happy I am about this, though, because now I can reference it and she gets it. I'm like, I've been referencing this movie for six years, and now you can understand it. <laughs> um. I'm going to start that sentence over because we went off. In mid-2017, amid public speculation of a serial killer in church in West... Well, I almost did it again. Well, Wellesley? Got it. Evidence was gained from another missing persons investigation, which led TPS, which is the um, Toronto Police Service, to create a second divisional task force, Project PRISM. In January 2018, Project PRISM investigators obtained evidence connecting two disappearances to Bruce MacArthur, a 66-year-old self-employed landscaper whom they arrested on January 18 of 2018. Police say they found evidence in MacArthur's apartment leading to homicide charges that they found the dismembered and that they found the dismembered remains of several men in planter boxes at a residence where MacArthur stored landscaping equipment. MacArthur... MacArthur and many of his <laughs> alleged victims. Hey, at least we can keep the humor up with me not being able to fucking read. And we always try to do that, especially with these. The true crimes. Yeah. MacArthur and many of his alleged victims were active on online dating apps for men who have sex with men, where MacArthur stated that he wanted to meet submissive men. By April 18th, MacArthur had been charged with eight counts of first-degree murder in the deaths of missing men, most of whom had been linked to church and Wellesley. I'm sorry. I don't know why that word is so hard for me, but I can just see Wesley. So It's just one of those words that doesn't look right. It doesn't. And you all know what we mean. (laughs) Wesley. There's too many fucking... Take out one of the L's. I just want to say church and whistle, because that just sounds better. Right. On January 29th of 19, MacArthur pleaded guilty to all eight counts in Ontario Superior Court and was subsequently sentenced to life imprisonment with no parole or eligibility for 25 years. MacArthur is the most prolific known serial killer to have been active in Toronto and the oldest known serial killer in Canada. The criminal investigation of MacArthur has been described as unprecedented, involving numerous possible crime scenes, identification of skeletal remains, judicial authorizations for data hosted on foreign servers, and examination of cold cases dating back to the mid-1970s. It became the largest investigation conducted by the TPS and also called on the resources of the Ontario Provincial Police, Royal Canadian Mountain Police, and other police and forensic services. Criticisms of the TPS's handling of the missing persons investigations have led to several internal reviews, an external review called by the Civilian Toronto Police Services Board, and the formation of a dedicated missing persons unit. Yeah, I had actually read, you know, one of the biggest things that hindered this crime, which has also been guilty in other crimes that I've read about, um, that have anything to do with, I mean, well, the Jeffrey Dahmer case, um, 
the uh, Dennis Nielsen case in England, any cases that involve uh, gay people at all are just, I mean, I hate to say it, even in these times, I mean, these weren't crimes that happened in the 70s, 80s, 90s. These are crimes that happened recently, but you still have very prejudiced police forces that don't take them as seriously. And, you know, this guy had an MO. This guy had a certain type of man. He was either Middle Eastern or South Asian. He had a certain type of ethnic group that he liked, much like Dahmer. Um, They were all centralized in one area in Toronto that was mostly known for gay clubs and hangouts. And he was really into bondage and BDSM and that type of thing and submissive men and was on all types of websites and stuff. So, you know, it was just kind of like drugs were involved, sadism was involved, and that culture immediately is just thought to be like sicko people. So they didn't want to take any of these crimes seriously. And that's really sad. That's really sad. No crime should be prejudiced against. You know, if and if people are being killed, I don't, you know, it shouldn't matter, gay, straight, whatever, in what manner or how, what, what have you. We should just be trying to, like, I can't get the word out. Like, <laughs> we should just be concerned that there are people being killed. There's people missing. That's, just, that's the concern. Like, let's just let's <laughs> deal with, let's try to figure that out, you know, on a human level of all things. So, yeah, it was just interesting how this was also happened to be one of those cases that was so similar to the one that we did with Dahmer and, um, you know, the Dennis Nielsen case, which is also very similar that happened in England of gay men. He was basically the killing English a Dahmer. Certain, right. Gay men killing a certain type of man that they met in a certain area of the town that they lived in and they all killed him a certain way and, you know, different things like that. So, yeah. Um, did you want me to go into more of a description of him? I can go into, into that. that. Okay, cool. Um, so in his early life, <clears throat> his name is Don- John Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas Donald Bruce MacArthur was born on October 8th, 1951 in Lindsay, Ontario, and was raised on a farm in Argyle near Woodville in the Kawartha Lakes region, about 60 kilometers north of Oshawa. Sounds like I shower. I'm like, that's pretty much, that's exactly how I would think you would I say shower. it. I shower. Like... <laughs> well, I do. I shower. Yeah, I do too. I in, do. Ad- <laughs> in addition to raising MacArthur and his sister, his parents fostered troubled children from Toronto, often with six to ten in their care at any given time. Had a good reputation in the area, according to a family friend. A young MacArthur attended a one-room schoolhouse outside Woodville. A classmate recalled him trying to be the teacher's pet and informing of mischief by other boys with whom he did not fit in. He was also known for winning singing contests. His mother was Irish Catholic and his father a Scottish Presbyterian. Both were devout, causing arguments in which MacArthur supported his mother. This led to derision from his strict father, who MacArthur later felt may have sensed his lack of masculinity or his homosexuality. MacArthur had trouble accepting his sexual orientation, which would have been seen as abnormal in rural, on, rural Ontario at that time. MacArthur was b- um, bused, bused, bust, but yes. I was like, that is not <laughs> like, correct. No, that is not that word. Because <laughs> my my brain's like abused, abused, abused. I'm like, no. 
MacArthur, I swear I did. I actually can read. <laughs> she can, guys. <laughs> swear she can read. Everyone's okay. like, she really couldn't read the word bust. Listen. My brain's like, abuse, abuse, abuse. So my brain's like, abused. <laughs> to near- Some words just don't look right, okay? They really don't. MacArthur was bust to nearby Fenelon Falls Secondary School for his secondary education, where he met and began dating Janice Campbell, both graduating in 1970. MacArthur later graduated from a, cro- a program in general business and married Campbell when he was 23. MacArthur began working for Eaton's department stores around 1973. Oh, I should probably specify real quick by stating that if anybody that's listening to this is not from Canada. Um, oh my God, I do so that too. Can- <laughs> I'm like Canadians from Canada. <laughs> from Canada, Canada. Um, their school, so like they have primary and secondary school. So whereas here in the States, we have like elementary school and then like junior high and high school primary school would be like elementary school for them and then secondary school would basically be high school so I just wanted to preface that in case because some people may be like secondary school what the fuck it's like (laughs) well yeah that's that's what that is and I just know that from uh I think that's that's more British Mm -hmm. British yeah I believe it is yes yeah they have primary and secondary school um, so MacArthur began working for Eaton's department stores around 1973 as a buyer's assistant in a downtown Toronto building, later demolished for construction of the Eaton Center. A few blocks north of where MacArthur was working, a gay village was forming on Yon Street between College and Molesley Streets, same-sex adult sexual behavior having been decriminalized in 1969. <laughs> it's a good year to pick! <clears throat> Decriminalized. They decriminalized it in 1969. In the mid-1970s, MacArthur's father was diagnosed with a brain tumor. He was sent to a nursing home, and MacArthur became disappointed when his mother took interest in another man. MacArthur grew much closer to his father at this time, and his mother died of cancer in 1978, while his father died in 1981. In 1979, MacArthur and his wife moved into a house on Ormond Drive in Oshawa by eight... An Oshawa. By nineteen eighty one they had a daughter a daughter, Melanie, and a son, Todd. In nineteen eighty six, the MacArthur's bought a home on Cartreff Avenue in Oshawa. He became very active in his church, keeping himself busy to avoid examining his homosexual feelings. Been there. MacArthur left his job at Eaton's in nineteen seventy eight and began working as a traveling salesman for McGregor Socks. He worked by himself, traveling from town to town, soliciting department stores to carry his merchandise. He worked territories including northern Ontario and the greater Toronto area. As he gained more territories, he employed counters to stock, prepare, and reorder merchandise. MacArthur later worked, MacArthur later worked as a merchandising representative for Stanfields, a garment company servicing GTA retailers like Hudson's Bay Company and Sears. God, are there any Sears left? I don't think so. <laughs> I think the company filed bankruptcy, so they're all gone. MacArthur began having sexual affairs with men in the early 90s. More than a year later, he came out of the closet to his wife, but they still continued living together. Sometime after 93, MacArthur's employment in the clothing trade came to an end. And the couple faced financial difficulty, in part due to legal issues connected to their then-teenage son. 
Todd, who was obsessively making obscene phone calls to women he did not know. The couple mortgaged their home in 97 and declared bankruptcy in 99. MacArthur separated from his wife in 97 and moved to Toronto as there was no gay community in Oshawa at the time. He frequented the bars of Church and Wellesley, Toronto's gay village, and moved into an apartment on Don Mills Road while pursuing a four-year relationship with another man. When they broke up and his divorce was being finalized, MacArthur saw a psychiatrist and was prescribed Prozac for several months, at, and about this time he was attempting to gain work as a landscaper. MacArthur had met a male sex worker on a chat line and later had sex with him, just after noon on October 31, 2001. A few weeks after his 50th birthday, MacArthur was invited into the man's apartment to see his Halloween costume. MacArthur struck the man several times from behind with an iron pipe that he often carried. I love how that's, that's just, just like, he just often carried an iron pipe. You know, because that's normal. Because people do that. In your back pocket. Just, it oh, oh, you need a pipe! <laughs> Um, the victim lost consciousness and called 911 when he awoke and was taken to St. Michael's Hospital. He suffered injuries to his head and body and needed several stitches on the back of his head and fingers, as well as six week weeks of physiotherapy. Physiotherapy. You're fine. No, see, I can't read. I can read, but I can't read. MacArthur, who turned himself in the attack, said he did not remember the incident or why he might have done it. He pleaded guilty to charges of assault with a weapon and assault causing bodily harm, and on April 11, 2003, received a conditional sentence of 729 days, which is two years less, less a day. A further charge of carrying a concealed weapon was withdrawn at the time. The Crown Attorney had earlier believed jail time was warranted, but agreed to a conditional sentence after psychiatric and presentencing reports suggested MacArthur was a low risk to reoffend. The victim said the victim said by the crown to have been traumatized by the incident did not provide a victim impact statement for the sentencing and there were concerns that MacArthur's unexplained behavior may have been due to com a combination of his anti-seizure medicine with amyl nitrate I almost said or poopers poppers a muscle relaxant which is sometimes taken recreationally poopers. before sex <laughs> a muscle relaxant taken recreationally before sex Sometimes I take some poopers. I take some poopers, you know. Before sex. <laughs> to relax my muscles. <laughs> I mean, I guess technically if your intestines are relaxed, you're going to do some pooping. <laughs> I guess. Might, probably don't want to be doing that during sex, though. <laughs> Might want to wait. It's going to turn into a two guys, one cup situation. <laughs> Especially if you're gay men, I feel like you I'm do so not want to be doing that I'm at that so moment. Sorry. Oh my god, it's so awful. I'm We're so horrible. sorry. Uh. <laughs> Continue. Uh, if you don't know what two girls one. Oh cup my god! Is, don't don't don't. <laughs> it's two girls one cup. Ask someone. Just ask don't somebody. Don't do it. it. <laughs> Your whole fucking first of all <laughs> viruses. Second of all, <laughs> viruses is your first thought? <laughs> yeah, like, okay, whatever. We watch horror. If your mind True. isn't already in the gutter, get over it. But you're going to have viruses crawling all over your computer. So, like, fuck your bank account and everything else that's on there. Second of all, um, <laughs> any personal information on your computer will be found out. Yeah, it's bleh, That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> that's that sound right there. 
Number and, one. I mean, we were talking. Number two. We were talking. Exa- number. And- Poopers. <laughs> number one. And number two. And number two. Don't don't Google it. Just ask somebody. Just just ask someone. Trust us. And on not that. at work. For the love of God, don't ask a coworker. You, you could you could get Google fired. You could at least Google a blue waffle though. Make sure you hit images. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You drank your coffee. She just took a giant ass drink of her coffee. Are you good? Don't Google that. Don't Google that. MacArthur avoided prison, spending <laughs> the first year of his sentence under house arrest, followed by a six-month curfew and three years of probation. During the sentence, he was barred- I was not throwing up about house arrest, by the way. House arrest would probably be kind of dope. Sometimes I never want to leave my house. <laughs> well, like, ever. You know how to get on house arrest. <laughs> I'm like, hey. Hmm. <laughs> Just call the cop. Please arrest Six, six months of house arrest? Mm. What can I do that would get me under house arrest? Because <laughs> I'm going to do, go do it right I'm, now. I'm going to do that. And I'm telling you so you can come get me. <laughs> so you can put me under house arrest. <laughs> um, during his sentence, he was barred from church in Wellesley except for work and medical appointments. Had to stay at least 10 meters from the victim's home or workplace and could not spend time with male prostitutes. He was forbidden to possess firearms for 10 years. He was not to purchase, possess, or consume drugs without a medical prescription, and specifically not to possess poppers. Poopers. <laughs> MacArthur had to submit his DNA to a database and was compelled to undertake psychological and psychiatric counseling, including anger management. A criminal defense lawyer found the list of the conditions uncommon and suggested that the judge was concerned that MacArthur was a danger to all male prostitutes. Excuse me, a retired homicide detective noted that parole conditions were unenforceable, were not published or made public knowledge, and that parole violators were caught only if they came to the attention of the police. In 2014, MacArthur was granted a record suspension on the conviction, which was subsequently expunged from his record and would have not appeared in criminal background checks during subsequent investigations. Most records and exhibits were destroyed in 2010 in compliance with the TPS retention policy. The only surviving documents were the transcripts of the guilty plea and sentencing hearing, the psychiatric report and pre-sentencing report ordered during the trial, and pictures of the victim's injuries and the weapon. This is just awful. I just, I, I remember reading this and thinking like, in 2014, this motherfucker was already murdering people and... Not only would there have been no way of knowing anything about his parole on this horrific crime, because it wasn't allowed to be made public knowledge, like it wasn't allowed to be put on a website for offenders or anything, this asshole was able to have the entire record expunged. So literally poof as if it didn't, I mean, he brutally attacked someone. To the point of, I mean, God knows what type of PTSD, not just physical, but mental injuries they have after that. And then, poof, it's gone. Ten years after it happened, just gone. Just like bad credit. As if it never fucking happened. And literally, like, not only is it expunged off his record, any records of the actual crime happening were completely destroyed. (laughs) I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, no. It's just... 
That's horrific. You know, there's so many crimes. There's so many true crime things that we've done and that I've heard on other podcast episodes that so many injustices by the police and by lawyers and by judges and jurors happen all the time. That is absolutely disgusting. And you feel like, oh, my God, if they would have gotten it right the first fucking time, so many people would have been saved. So many lives would have been spared. Yep. Because clearly if he's done something like that, it's going to probably happen again. Yeah, once it's already... So this... People that are serial killers, we all know that it's something that they fantasize about either from the time they were a child, from their, usually around their adolescence. So that's typically, you know, I mean, that's a no brainer. That's right around the time that your hormones, your body's changing, you know, so then you start having these violent fantasies, sometimes violent fantasies connected with sex. And then as soon as you act on that, you're going to keep doing it. Yeah. Especially if you basically get away with it. Uh, oh, which he basically got away with it. Oh, he got away with it. So, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, so. In 2002, while the assault case was still before the courts, MacArthur registered with Recon, Re, Recon a gay fetish, hold on, a gay fetish dating website for men into BDSM. Bondage, discipline, sadism, and mas- mas- masochism? Got it. Look at me. I know shit. <laughs> I know these words. I know these words. Of course, someone out there is like, uh, of course she knows those words. Calm down. <laughs> Where his profile noted his interest in submissive men. He was active on numerous gay dating websites, including Silver Daddies, Man Jam. These whole, names are amazing. That name is horrible. These names are incredible. That's like Jesus cheese. Oh, Squirt is bad. Look at these. Grinder, bear, bear four. What's bear four one one? Bears. Oh yeah. Bears. This is from a lesbian. I had, it takes me a minute. Bears. <laughs> bear forest scruff. Ooh, I like daddy hunt. <laughs> me too. I like that. That's funny. And growler. Oh. Squirt. <laughs> Squirt could also be female too. <laughs> Ew. Sorry. Anyway, MacArthur joined Facebook. Oh my god, there's so many, there's just too many bodily functions going on in this podcast. And there's too many bodily functions going on in these fucking names. It's just too much. What it's is too happening? much. These gay dating site names are not gay dating sites. They're gay, I just want to fuck sites. Because if they have names like this, nobody's dating. Nobody's like, oh my god, hi, how are you? Let's, let's get to know each other. Let's have some coffee. And let's go get some coffee. Oh my god. Meeting like, this no. someone on Man Jam. On Squirt. Good. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> I love that you're like, but It's just so gross. MacArthur joined Facebook in 2011. Now that's where you date. On the face. Now that Facebook has Facebook dating too. <laughs> yeah. Just letting y'all know that of if you don't know. they do. It's a terrible, terrible thing. <laughs> um, he cataloged his nightlife with pictures of parties, vacations, birthday dinners, and concert concerts. Younger men of South Asian or Middle Eastern descent were in several pictures. By this time, MacArthur had become a part of the gay village community and was a regular at its bars. 
Since 07 or 08, he was living on a 19th floor apartment at Leaside Towers in Thorncliffe Park, a neighborhood populated mainly by immigrants about five kilometers northeast of Church and Wellesley. MacArthur's 2003 banishment from Church and Wellesley remained well known and he had developed a reputation for BDSM and rough sex. In 2011, MacArthur told an acquaintance named Robert James about an incident in which he had been asked to leave a coffee house, which caused MacArthur to knock all of the glasses off on the counter in a rage. James decided to heed advice to stay away from MacArthur, explaining that he had heard disturbing stories about him. According to James, MacArthur turned red and screamed about fucking faggots, which is rude. Yeah. Telling stories we about like me, that word over here. we don't like. Like I could literally barely even get it out of my yeah. mouth. I was like, Hurgh. "Thank you, Wikipedia, for blocking the word out." But yeah, that's awesome. Telling stories about me, you're just like the rest of them. You think I'm crazy? Well, no, well, well, <laughs> well, well, well. fits there, Bruce. <laughs> okay, Cinderella. Does that slipper fit? <laughs> AJ Khan, a Toronto restaurant, restaurant. Restaurant owner remembered MacArthur as a friendly regular. Towards the end of 2013, Khan inquired when MacArthur came in alone instead of with his usual companion. MacArthur said his boyfriend was on vacation, and when Khan noted he had seen the man the previous day, MacArthur angrily left and never returned. MacArthur had become a self-employed landscaper operating under the name Artistic Designs. A colleague who installed water features on three of his projects in 2011 described MacArthur as more of a gardener operating out of a little van with old tools. He said that MacArthur was always accompanied by an older white man who appeared to be romantically involved with him, and a day laborer, usually of Southeast Asian or Middle Eastern descent. Most of MacArthur's clients were wealthy elderly women who found him charming, and he had built a client base through personal recommendations. During the off-season, MacArthur portrayed Santa Claus at Agen, or Agen Court Mall and made floral gifts for charities. Oh, he just came to charities. How, how precious. <laughs> MacArthur's separation from his wife was initially heated, though they later reconciled. His son Todd was reported to have difficulty accepting his father is gay. In 2014, Todd was sentenced to 14 months in jail for making multiple obscene phone calls. What is with this dude in phone calls? Uh, <laughs> okay, Billy from Black Christmas. Jesus. Billy! <laughs> it's always a Billy. God, these horror movies. Well, I that was Twister. God forbid. Billy! Yeah, I know, but God forbid in a horror movie if your name's Billy, you're just... You got a doll named Billy. You you're got a killer named Billy. Around. You're just fucked if your name Billy. Yep. He was Too released much. on bail, ordered to stay with his father at his, as, at his Toronto apartment and assist with MacArthur's landscaping business. A former friend of Todd's visited one night and discovered the wall of MacArthur's bathroom was decorated with photos of naked men with erections. He said that most of the men appeared to be East Indian and that Todd said they were men from his, whom his father knew. MacArthur did not hide the fact, laughing over it at breakfast. Well, what's really disturbing is finding out later that he actually took pictures of his victims after they were already dead and they were naked in these pictures. So who's to know? And this happened in 2014. So we know the crimes happened between 2010 and 2017. So who knows if some of those pictures that he happened to see could have been naked men that were dead. Like, that's even more horrific. I remember reading that and thinking, oh my God. And then I... I measured up the timelines and then 
found out about the pictures that he took. And I thought, oh, wow. Those could have been dead people. Oh, like, God. That's horrific. Like, it just, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse <laughs> with Bruce. <laughs> like, it just. There's just no hope for Bruce. There is no hope at all for Bruce. <laughs> like, it's just awful. Do you want to? Yeah, I can take over. Um, <clears throat> So this gets into the missing persons investigations in Project Houston that Casper mentioned earlier in the podcast. Um, it was an 18-month TPS investigation, which be investigation, whoa, which began in November of 2012. Oh, God, she's getting my disease. Stop it. <laughs> um, initially looking at the September 6th, 2010 disappearance of uh, Scan... Oh, and Skandaraj. guys... Skandaraj. The nickname was Skanda Nevrahatnam. Um, you guys will have to forgive us about a lot of these Middle Eastern names. We are so sorry if we butcher them. Some of them are going to be difficult. Apologies in advance and condolences to the victims' families. Um, police had been searching Riverdale Park, which is a popular LGBT cruising spot, and in 2010, with Navarahanam's friends and later with cadaver dogs and mounted patrols. Two years later, police believed that Navarahanam had been murdered but had no leads. And according to a 2018 W5 investigation, that was a local news outlet, a man had posted on a cannibal website called Zambian Meat in 2012, that is a horrible name, Oh my God. that he killed and ate a man in Toronto, and that led to the formation of Project Houston. Um, a I killed and ate a man. Uh, well, there was a website, there were several oh websites God. like that, apparently... A CBC News investigation in 2019 revealed that police had briefly investigated a possible link between, uh, we'll just say his nickname, Skanda, his murder, and convicted killer Luca Magnata, although this lead was eventually abandoned for lack of evidence. Um, Luca Magnata, uh, he killed a Chinese international student by the name of Lin June. He dismembered him. Um, and mailed his feet and other parts of his body to schools and political offices. Jesus. Uh, yeah, that happened in 2012. He even posted pictures of it online, and uh, he was arrested in 2014. He was previously cited by animal rights groups for uploading pictures and videos of himself killing and eating kittens. So this guy was a winner. Um, oh, I must meet him. Oh, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> detectives at 51 Division, which included Church and Leslie, brought their evidence to the Homicide Squad, and Hank uh, Idsinga was seconded to Project Houston for six months until the cannibalism tip was ultimately dismissed. The focus of the investigation, codenamed Suspect Zero, was James Alex Brunton, who was a retired hospital tech living in... Peterborough, Ontario. Police surveilled him and performed online and plainclothes operations. He was cleared as a murder suspect in 2013, but he ultimately ended up pleading guilty to possessing, making, and distributing child porn. <laughs> That's great. Uh, All these winners. It sounds awesome. It just keeps getting better. Brunton, who was who is now 69 years old, had uh, much in common with MacArthur, apparently. Uh, and he himself had entered into a cannibalistic sexual contract with a teenager from Colorado. By June of 2013, the task force had identified two other missing person cases linked by geography and lifestyle. Um, those were of 
Bazaar, it's his nickname, uh, Fazi and Hamid Kahan. All three were middle-aged immigrants of South Asian origin and had disappeared between 2010 and 2012. Fazi and Kahan were each married men leading double lives. Police linked them to Church and Willesley, where they all disappeared. Um, it should be noted that a lot of these men of these type of ethnic descents, uh, due to their cultural and religious backgrounds, pretty much had no choice but to live at, live as closeted men. Um, that's still even well known today. Um, there's some very extreme Muslim cultures that will actually kill members of their family if they are gay or homosexual or transgender or what LGBTQ in any way, shape or form, they will kill them or have them killed. It's horrific. So not only do they have to live out of fear of being shunned by their family, their community, by everything they've ever known in some more extreme extremist religions, they could be killed. So, you know, I think that's could possibly be another big reason why Bruce specifically targeted this group. Maybe not only because he was not only attracted to them, but more specifically targeted this group because he believed that it would be easier to keep it covered up because they weren't open. And if the crime had to be investigated, then that mean it had to be brought up that these men were gay. So it's a solid point. And it doesn't, I mean, this, again, this does not dismiss these crimes in any way, shape or form. These were brothers, sons, fathers. These were people. These were human beings. This never should have happened to them, whether they were gay, straight or otherwise. So I just wanted to preface by saying that that could have possibly been a reason why he chose these type of ethnic groups too, because pretty much they had no choice but to lead double lives. Um, police linked them to Church and Willesley, where they had all disappeared. A source with knowledge to the investigation later told The Globe and The Daily Mail that MacArthur had been linked to two of the missing men through his dating apps. An anonymous tip led police to interview MacArthur on November 11th of 2013. Police had been told that MacArthur had a romantic relationship with uh, Skanda and had visited Kahan. Because he was a longtime friend of Skanda, police then considered him a possible witness. MacArthur had told police that he knew both men and regularly interacted with Skanda at the Black Eagle, but denied being in a relationship with him. MacArthur also admitted to employing Kahan, with whom he had broken off a sexual relationship. Two weeks after this interview, MacArthur purchased a 2004 special edition Dodge Caravan. Because that's what you you. do. (laughs) Because right after your question by the police, you go out and buy another vehicle. Okay. Oh, look at that. It's time to get a car. Yeah, because that's not (laughs) suspicious in any way, shape, or form. Project Houston concluded with no evidence to link the disappearances that a crime had been committed or to identify a suspect. According to a 2016 case summary, there was still nothing to explain what had happened to these men. Andrew Kinsman disappeared from Cabbage Town. It's Cabbage Town. Like it is. Weaseled it. Uh, on June 26, 2017, the day after, the day after Pride, you know, um, it's, Tor- it's Toronto's Gay Pride Festival. Oh my God, can you imagine how awesome that Pride is? It's probably pretty Like, awesome. seriously? It's probably pretty fucking awesome. Let's go. But that's terrible. Right? I mean, the Pride, this, that's not cool. The disappearing all. from Pride, no, that's not cool. Not cool. 
On the evening of June 28th, learning that no one had seen Kinsman in a couple of days, Ted Healy and other friends gained access to his apartment. They found no signs of disturbance, though his 17-year-old cat was out of food and water. Oh, my God. No. They reported Kinsman's disappearance to the police the following day. Unlike other missing men, Kinsman was openly gay. Uh, oh, so this was a little different than the other guys. Uh, and he had deep roots in his community. He had worked as a bartender and as a longtime volunteer with the Toronto People with AIDS Foundation and was a superintendent of his building. He was known as a stable and responsible man, and friends felt he would not just suddenly leave and certainly not leave his cat or his prescription medication behind. Kinsman was very active on social media, but investigators found his cell phone was turned off the day he disappeared. The 49-year-old was six foot four. 220 pounds, and very street-savvy, facts which made him seem very unlikely as a victim of violence. So it this is kind of one of those things where it seems like it would add up that it would probably be more unlikely with this type of guy that it would be somebody that he knew. Because, you know, obviously he could take care of himself. Uh, Greg Downer, a friend and colleague of Kinsman's, was at the center of community-driven efforts to find Kinsman and other missing men. He founded and moderated the Facebook groups Find Andrew Kinsman and Toronto's Missing Rainbow Community, which had about 600 members each. These groups shared information about the missing men and organized volunteers for search parties. They also raised public awareness with missing persons posters for Kinsman. Another picture with 12 missing persons presumed to be gay, later reduced to 11, spread wide on social media. The information was outdated. Five of the men had already been found alive and well. A six was discovered dead and ruled a suicide, and several of the men were not gay. The other pictures included the three missing men from Project Houston, Kinsman, and Salim Isin, who had disappeared on April 14th of 2017. An internet meme had suggested that the disappearances were all connected, and it fed fears into the community, with some suspecting a serial killer. At the end of July of 2017, police created a new task force, Project PRISM, to investigate the disappearances of Kins and Essen and to look for any links with the unsolved disappearances investigated under Project Houston. Downer organized an August 1st community safety meeting in which police gave an interview of the task force and thanked the community for their abundance of information that they had received. Queer, refugees, transgender, and two-spirit people spoke of their vulnerabilities, experiencing disproportionate violence within the LGBTQ community. The Missing Rainbow community provided strategies for staying safe when meeting people from dating apps. And this can be true for anybody. I mean, I know we live more in a world where everybody meets anybody online, but I'm telling you guys, and I speak unfortunately from personal experience, there are some psycho fucking people out there, and you you have no idea. You have literally no idea literally no idea so it's like it's so much more commonplace now more than ever granted these crimes were only within a few years from now but this should literally be for anybody not just gay straight whatever not just dating friends whatever just meeting anybody online you don't know who you're meeting no idea you don't know so you just you know be just be aware of of things you know some people are just inherently too trusting or at times you're just not thinking about it or you're like or you could be like some of these men where maybe you've done this before and your experiences were fine and you think this is just one more time and it could be the one wrong time trust that instinct yeah i mean like if you feel off you feel off for a reason dude every time do it 
Trust Every that time. instinct. That, that means something. It really, it's been proven like medically that that actually means something. When you get that like quote unquote gut instinct, that is a real fucking thing. So yeah, listen. I speak from experience. Listen, listen, listen. listen to it. Ditto. <laughs> All right. Realizing the difficulty police face with judicial authorizations for data from services servers located outside of Canada, which caused delays in their crucial early days of the missing persons investigations, Downer was able to appeal to d- dating apps to provide an option for users to consent to have their data released to police if they went missing. Safety hotlines were also set up by those reluctant reluctant to speak to police, which is always a good idea. Volunteers searched the Toronto Ravine system on a weekly basis just to make sure the bodies hadn't been dumped or anything. By the end of October, searches were scheduled daily before being called off for snow and ice in early December. Fears of a predator starking, starking. Tony, stop! They're starking. (laughs) Are they from Stark Industries? No, no, no. No, they're not. Um, fears of a predator stalking, like a stalker, Church and Leslie grew on November 29th when the body of Tess Ritchie was found by her mother in an alleyway four days after she was reported missing. Um, obviously, this isn't tied to Bruce in any way. But uh, this particular crime was... Uh, oh, let's see... She was a trans, uh, she was identified as a transgendered woman. Uh, her body was discovered in a Rosedale ravine in August. Fears in the community led to TPS chief Mark Saunders holding an unprecedented December 8th news conferences on three separate investigations into the homicide of Richie, the death of Wells, and the disappearances of Kinsman and Essen. Although the cases occurred in close proximity, police did not believe they were related, and we later found out that obviously they weren't. And Saunders had no evidence of a serial killer. Uh, Project PRISM was a TPS task force created in the end of July of 2017. And the investigation to the disappearances of Kinsman and Essen um, to also look for any links with the unsolved disappearances investigated under Project Houston. So I think basically just Project PRISM kind of took over for Project Houston. The more leads and disappearances that started to come in um the task force uh this time was overseen by detective sergeant michael richmond and led by detective sergeant hank uh oh sorry insigna insiga hank's kind of hard to say which had served on the homicide squad for over 13 years and had been assigned to project houston for six months the task force also included an officer from sex crimes unit and six officers from police 51 division three of whom had also been members of Project Houston. The investigation was difficult because of the lifestyles of the subjects who used dating apps and frequently met people they had never met before. It was noted to be unlike Kinsman or Essen to go anywhere without notifying friends or family. Kinsman's disappearance was central to the creation of Project PRISM because of a lead obtained at the end of July. Itzinga later said that a crucial piece of evidence was recovered because Kinsman's disappearance had been reported within 72 hours where evidence uh, within that time where evidence could have been lost. According to an agreed statement of facts read in court, police found Bruce, the name Bruce written on Kinsman's calendar for June 26th, the same day that Kinsman was last seen. Some things are coming uh, yeah, together. I'm telling you, the day, that sp- specific day, 
Surveillance video outside of Kinsman's residence showed a person matching his appearance approach a red vehicle. Victoria Gibson of the Globe and Mail described the surveillance image as, as tiny and fleeting, so obviously really difficult to see. It did it did not include a license plate or a clear picture of the driver. The chrome sighting did identify it as a 2004 Dodge Caravan. There were more than 6,000 similar models in Toronto, but only five were registered to a Bruce, and the 2004 model specifically belonged to MacArthur. By late August or September, they matched from surveillance video of MacArthur's apartment, but it was no longer his residence. Redacted warrants and police documents partially released by a judge in mid-2018 revealed that in August and September of 2017, police investigators had obtained production orders compelling the release of data from Google, Rogers, Bell, TELUS, Royal Bank, and Manulife Bank. Around September, tracking warrants had been obtained by vehicles and phones. In October, further orders were granted for information from Yahoo, Air Canada, Additional Banks, and Pink Triangle Press, an LGBT publisher. See, a lot of these things were taking so long as far as data goes because you had to obtain warrants for anything, for any of this to be done without someone's consent. Because any of these dating apps and things that are registered by certain co companies, you have to sign when you check that fine print you know, you're, you're stating that everything you put into this is protected. So for any way for police investigations to be able to obtain them, you have to go through a whole fucking lengthy ass process in this. So this is like, this is like nothing, really nothing new. Um, MacArthur himself was named in a September 8th request to place a judicial seal on the warrants and later request to seal warrants issued from September to November Noted that the investigation noted the investigation into Bruce MacArthur. This was quoted. An October request noted circumstantial evidence that suggested MacArthur's involvement in the disappearance of five men, including Kinsman. By October 3rd, plainclothes officers arrived at Dom's Auto Parts in Cordis, Ontario, which is 70 kilometers or 43 miles northeast of Toronto. They were canvassing businesses for MacArthur's 2004 Dodge Caravan, which owner Dominic Vitera confirmed he had purchased on September 16th. The police found it intact, had it towed away, also copying surveillance video of MacArthur visiting said shop. Vitera said officers later told him that they had found trace amounts of blood in the vehicle and the blood was identified as Kinsman's. Oh, shit. I'm telling you. This is when shit starts going down. This is like that Law and Order oh, shit. Oh, shit. Like CSI shit. When they find the blood, you're like, it's, 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 it's over. He's done. It's about to go down. Like It's going down for real. <laughs> court documents show that in November, cadaver dogs were brought to Mallory Crescent residence in the Lee Side neighborhood of Toronto. MacArthur had an arrangement to tend to the owner's yard in exchange for storage space in their garage for his landscaping equipment. The dogs did not indicate any human remains. A camera was installed to monitor. Police also obtained a log of MacArthur's key fob for his apartment. With this and a tracking warrant of his cell phone, they built a timeline of the day Kinsman went missing. DNA evidence from MacArthur's van, which matched Kinsman and Essen, allowed investigators to obtain a general warrant from MacArthur's apartment on December 4th. Police then covertly entered MacArthur's residence and cloned his computer and hard drive. 
On December 5th, after a consultation with the community, Project Prism issued a warning about dating apps, urging users to exercise caution when meeting someone. In a December 8th news conference, Project Prism investigators said they had completed 62 witness interviews, 28 judicial authorizations, assigned 308 actions, of which 225 had been completed. Police had also conducted searches, utilized resources from mounted and canine units, and on one occasion used a drone. They said that they had also had no evidence to link the disappearances. The investigation picked up steam in January of 2018 when Itzinga noted that, noted, sorry, noted that had many 15-hour days and 70 in a 72-hour stretch of intensive investigation in mid-January. By January 17th, two pieces of evidence came to light directly connecting MacArthur to the disappearances of Essen and Kinsman. A partially downloaded uh, image from MacArthur's computer, which was going through forensic analysis, yielded post-mortem photos of the victims that day. Remember me saying about the photos in the bathroom? Took pictures of his victims. Round-the-clock surveillance was put on MacArthur with instructions that MacArthur should be immediately arrested if observed alone with anyone. They gonna get him. They gonna get him. Do you want to go into the arrest? Sure. Because this, yeah, this is when shit gets... This is when it's getting good. This gets pretty fucking crazy at this point. (laughs) Police officers surveilling MacArthur decided to apprehend him shortly after they saw a young man enter his Thorncliffe Park apartment on January 18th of 2018 believing the man's life was at risk. A source told CTV News that the police officers found the young man restrained to a bed when they entered MacArthur's apartment. The man was shaken but not injured. Referred to in court as John, the man had arrived in Canada from the Middle East five years earlier, was married, and had not told his family he was gay. He had met MacArthur through the dating app Growler. They had had met for sex several times. He had agreed to keep his relationship with MacArthur secret and let himself be handcuffed to MacArthur's steel bed frame. MacArthur put a black bag over his head and tried to tape his mouth shut before police officers interrupted him. I mean, that guy was so close to death. It's insane. Those police officers were like, mm-mm. I mean, they literally, I mean, it's like, to be caught red-handed is an understatement in this. Like, I mean, he was literally caught. Like, caught right in the middle. And this guy, John's life was saved. Lit- Thank like, God. Literally saved. According to CP3, was it C3PO? Uh, I, why did I read it like that? <laughs> According to C3PO and R2D2, the officers had a, it's CP24. The officers had a search warrant for his apartment obtained after gaining blood evidence from MacArthur's van. Police seized electronic devices from the apartment, including five cell phones. Good lord. Yeah, people like this are nuts. They, True. They do their work. Five computers, three digital cameras, and about a dozen, a dozen. A dozen USB flash like drives. A, a dungeon. It's a, a lot. A dungeon. <laughs> it's a dungeon full. A dungeon full. Um, evidence found in MacArthur's apartment shortly after the arrest prompted investigators to charge MacArthur with two counts of first-degree murder and the presumed deaths of Andrew Kinsman and Salim Essen. Their bodies had not been found, but police said they had a pretty good idea of how they died. <clears throat> pretty good idea of how they died. And Singha was satisfied that there was enough evidence for murder convictions, even without the bodies. A source told CTV News that photographs of the alleged victims found at MacArthur's residence led to the charges. 
The Toronto Sun reported that MacArthur's computer had grisly photos of his suspected victims kept as trophies. Don't always believe that if they can't find the body that you'll get away with the crime. That's not always the case. I just, no. I'm just putting that out there. I've just seen this happen. I've heard this in cases like, I've heard this in cases before. People will automatically believe that because that's, has, that's been noted. No body, no crime. That's not always the case. If you leave enough evidence around like this guy did, you can still get charged. Oh, yeah. They don't always have to find a body. Because so. half the time you're, the body really won't tell you much. It's the evidence that you leave during the act. If they're able to pick up forensic mm. evidence from the body, it could give an idea of a timeline and how they died, but that's about it. If yeah. the body's found too late or found submerged in water or found in a way that it's been decomposed to the point of no forensic evidence, and it really doesn't tell you much. But like they said, if if you if you find like this guy specifically, if you have a modus operandi where most of where pretty much the majority of your crimes are all committed the same way, then you don't really have to guess. Right. At the time of MacArthur's arrest, <clears throat> Nsinga said that the police believed he was responsible for the deaths of other men and were most concerned with identifying these victims. Doing so included coordinating with other police services, tracing MacArthur's whereabouts and his online activity. By the end of January, Nsinga said they were investigating an alleged serial killer who had concealed evidence by burying it across the city. He described the ongoing case as unprecedented, with hundreds of officers involved. Additional charges were laid, and by the end of February, the investigation was expanded to outstanding murder cases, hundreds of missing person cases, and sudden death occurrences, coordinating with other Canadian and international forces. Police executed search warrants on January 18th at five properties associated with MacArthur and his landscaping business, four in Toronto and a nine-acre property about 120 miles northeast in Maddock, Ontario. The Maddock property and a home on Conlon's Road were residences of Roger Horan, a landscaper and longtime friend of MacArthur. Another property search was the condominium of MacArthur's former boyfriend, a Concord place, on Concord place. These three properties were released back to their owners by January 23rd. Of greater concern to investigators were MacArthur's high-rise apartment in Thorncliffe Park and the Mallory Crescent residence in Leaside. The owners of the Leaside residence were barred from their home January 18th so that forensic investigators could search it. The search of the property was extended to an adjacent ravine aided by the Cavid Cadaver dogs, cavadier dogs, cadaver dogs, and many <laughs> phenomena. <laughs> do 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 do. Cavadier. Do 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 do. Yeah, I don't like that word for that reason. Cavadier is that? Cavadier. That's not even a word. Cavadier. Cavadier. And members of the heavy or heavy. <laughs> heavy urban search and rescue team. Cadaver dogs took a strong interest in large planter boxes on January nineteenth. The planters had frozen to the ground, requiring heaters to thaw them. A large planter was wrapped on January 22nd and brought to the coroner's office. On January 29th, police announced that they had found the dismembered skeletal remains of at least three people in two of 12 large planter boxes seized from the Leaside residence. Although the remains had not been identified, police had gathered enough evidence to charge MacArthur with three additional counts of first-degree murder and the presumed deaths of Kayan, a Project Houston subject. Majid. Majid Kahan. Kahan. Okay. Sarush Mahmood. Mahmooda. Who disappeared in 2015. And Dean Lissawick, a homeless man who was never reported missing. 
Nsinga said they were investigating what they thought was a serial killer who had concealed evidence by burying it across the city. He described an ongoing case as un- That is just repeating itself. Wikipedia is repeating itself, because I read that already. Um, the Ontario Provincial Police, the Pro- Provinces Forensic Pathology Services, and the Center of Forensic Sciences were aiding with the searches of MacArthur's apartment and the Leaside property. Form- former homicide detective Mark Mendelson said the investigation would become the largest Toronto has undertaken. Criminologist and Western University professor Michael Arntfield said that the alleged method of the disposal suggested a sophisticated killer who had developed his craft. And as most serial killers begin in their 20s, the crimes could go back several decades and represent the longest run of a serial killer on record. MacArthur's past as a traveling salesman suggested to John Bradford, a forensic psychiatrist and expert on serial murders, that police might have a province-wide investigation ahead of them. Toronto crime journalist James Dubrow said the allegations suggest MacArthur was the deadliest known serial killer in Toronto and the most prolific gay serial killer in Canada. On February 8th, police announced that they had found the remains of three more people in planters from Lily's side home and that one of the six sets of remains belonged to Andrew Kinsman, identified through fingerprints. Investigators said that it could be months before all the remains were identified. Additional planters were seized from across the city, including one from the Danforth neighborhood and two properties in North Rosedale were searched. Cadaver dogs were having trouble detecting scents due to the cold weather and frozen ground. Beginning on January 19th, heaters in a large tent were used gradually were used to gradually thaw the frozen ground in the backyard of the Leaside home at a location indicated by both cadaver dogs and ground penetrating radar. A forensic pathologist was expected to take at least 10 days to excavate four remains by hand. Forensic anthropologist Dr. Kathy Grusepire? Yeah. Who arrived to oversee the excavation did not find any sign of soil disturbance by previous digging. Excavation of two sewage lines at the home was conducted February 13th and a section of one line was removed for testing. The police investigation had a continuous presence at the Leaside home, often described as Ground Zero, and the police established a command post on the property. February 10th through 11th, the search of the house was completed and it was released to its owners after more than three weeks. The owners requested that police keep crime scene tape up around the yard to deter reporters by whom they were feeling increasingly harassed. God, I can only imagine. Probably just like, just please leave that up so no one bothers us. Please. (laughs) Forensic investigators spent hundreds of hours searching every inch of MacArthur's apartment, where Nsinga suspected some of the murders occurred. It took them several weeks before searching MacArthur's bedroom, where they expected to find the bulk of their evidence. The search concluded on May 11th, having occupied 10 forensic officers for nearly four months. They took more than 18,000 photographs and collected over 1,800 items. (laughs) Whew. 18,000. So you guys are talking, you know, May 11th. That was May 11th of this year. So that wasn't very long ago. Seven months ago. And they found over 18,000 photographs spanning seven years of murders. I mean, that's... That's a lot. It's unbelievable. And and Singa noted the thoroughness required... That's... I said that wrong. No, I didn't. No, you're good. <laughs> that word just looks like, not like a word like anymore. Required as the first murder was believed to have occurred eight years previously. The searches of Leaside Home and MacArthur's apartment made up the largest forensic investigation conducted by the TPS. 
On February 23rd, MacArthur was charged with a sixth count of first-degree murder and the death of Skanda. That was his nickname, right? Yeah, Skanda. Yep. A subject of Project Houston, Skanda's remains, and those of Mamudi. Yeah, Mamudi, sorry. Identified through dental records and had been recovered from planters at the Leaside home. On March 5th, police held a press conference and released a photo of an unidentified deceased man alleged to be another of MacArthur's victims. They had exhausted their options in identifying the man and hoped the public could help. Police later received over 500 tips regarding the photo and were checking on 22 potential identities. They also announced that a seventh set of remains had been discovered from Leaside planters. Dr. Michael Polinen, Ontario's chief forensic pathologist, said his organization had never before been involved in an investigation with such scope drawn with such scope drawing on the skills of each member for many unique challenges such as scientific issues related to decomposition and post-mortem dismemberment on april 11th macarthur was charged with the seventh count of first degree murder in his in the death of fazi he was at his point charged with the deaths of all five men from project houston and project prism investigations the charge came as Fozzie's remains were identified from the Leaside planters along with those of Essen and Lissowick. Investigators had finished searching the Leaside planters from which the remains of all but K- is it Kahan. Kahan. I, can't, I keep wanting to say Kahan. I know. Had been identified. They had one set of unidentified remains. They had also searched eight additional planters from elsewhere in the city which had contained no human remains. On April 16th, MacArthur... Mac- MacArthur was charged. MacArthur. MacArthur. I'm going to call him MacArthur. There you go. I love MacArthur was charged with an eighth account of first degree murder and the death of Karushna Kumar Kanagaratnam. Thanks. You are welcome. Whose remains were the seventh set identified from the Leaside planters. Police said his name had not come from the many tips generated by the release of his post-mortem photograph, but he had been identified with help from an undisclosed international agency. Kanagaratnam. Was it a Tamil? Tamil? Yeah, Tamil. Asylum seeker who was under a deportation order and had not been reported missing. Police said they would look into why his name was not on the list of missing persons. Uh, Probably out of fear of being deported. Probably. <laughs> I mean, if he was under a, de- a deportation order, he his name wouldn't have been known because he was trying to not get deported. Exactly. He had lost contact with his family in August of 2015, and police believe that he had been killed between September 3rd and December 14th of 2015. Yeah, that area is near Syria, so that's a lot of, that's all war-torn. So he left seeking asylum in Canada, so... If he was under threat of being deported back to that place, yeah, he definitely didn't want to go back. The scope of the investigation was expanded at the end of February 2018, looking at outstanding murder cases. Hundreds of missing persons cases and sudden death occurrences and coordinating with other Canadian and international forces. Police had received tips from around the world, including countries where MacArthur had vacationed. And Singa said that the investigation would take years. A police source told the National Post that MacArthur had covered his tracks using aliases online, payphones instead of cell phones, and avoiding areas with surveillance cameras. The source suggested that MacArthur had targeted vulnerable men who did not have a fixed address or had not told their families they were gay. Yep, see? Which is pretty much exactly what you said. To keep them from, yeah. yeah. 
being found or saying anything. Detective Sergeant Stacy Gallant of the TPS Homicide Squad's cold case unit said the active crime scenes of the investigation took precedence over revisiting cold cases. Each of 600 cold cases were being looked at for consideration of further attention. They drew up a list of 15 homicide cold cases linked to the gay village and fitting the general profile of the victims identified thus far. Investigators began reviewing these cold cases dating between 75 and 97 for a possible connection to MacArthur. By mid-July, forensic testing related to the cold cases was underway, searching for links to MacArthur. MacArthur. The cold cases include some of a series of brutal murders in the gay village between 75 and 78, when MacArthur would have been 23 to 26 years old, and working just a few blocks south of the gay village. The victims of these crimes, all gay men, were found in their homes naked, tied to beds, and stabbed or beaten to death, in a manner described as overkill. In 2018, homicide detective David Dickinson said that they had not yet found any links between MacArthur and the cold cases. Investigators planned to return to the 30 properties associated with MacArthur in April or May when the frozen ground had thawed, allowing cadaver dogs to operate with greater accuracy. Nsinga said he was particularly interested in excavating at three properties, which included revisiting the Leaside residence where remains had been found. Additional tips saw the murder of properties to be searched grow to 75 and then 100, some of them outside the city. A team of seven cadaver dogs, some on loan, some on loan from other GTA police forces, were searching the properties by the second week of May. These searches had concluded by the first week of June. Follow-up investigations had been considered whether additional searches would be required. Between July 4th and 13th, 20 police investigators conducted excavations in the forested ravine behind the Leaside property. They began sifting through a large compost pile and proceeded with the guidance of canine assistants and a forensic anthropologist. They collected human remains almost every day of this search. On July 20th, it was announced that the remains belonged to... Oh, Kahan. Kahan. I'm telling you guys, his name looks like Kahan. It's K-A-Y-H-A-N. Like, you would first look, think... Kahan. There you go. <laughs> and that the remains of all of MacArthur's alleged victims had been identified. And Singa said they had no evidence suggesting MacArthur was connected to any other deaths, though the investigation to the cold cases was continuing. Waterloo Regional Police contract contacted Ontario's Serial Predator Crime Investigations Coordinator to inquire about MacArthur and the November 2002 disappearance of David McDermott from downtown Kitchener. John Riley of Meaford, Ontario, is another possible victim. He had gone to Toronto to find a work in landscaping, planning to stay in a shelter at church in Wellesley, and disappeared in May of 2013. Hmm. Okay, so they actually only have eight. They only have eight specifically that they've charged him with because those are the ones he actually admitted to you know i don't personally think that he did any crimes back in the 70s i think he waited i think I can, he did too. i can see them trying to link to these other cold cases because of the modems modems those wafas <laughs> got it um, those damn wafas the motives were very similar but just dissimilar enough that <laughs> He didn't. I just like seeing all the. I'm like modems. all the modems were the same. <laughs> all of them. Were they Cincinnati Bell or were they uh, Direct TV? Um, was know, it more were, into the? Um, they were different. Time Warner. They were all different. They were just all different. All of them. All kinds of modems. All different modems. 
Look at all those modems. Look at all this Wi-Fi. Oh my god, that was awful. Um, did you want me to go ahead and go into the next? By one? all means. Okay, got it. Um, the victims, so uh, as we mentioned, five of the victims were noted by investigators to have similarities. They were identified as bears. So in the gay community, bears are generally gay men that are usually more muscular or heavier set uh, that have beards and body hair. Um, they were also middle-aged. Uh, they also disappeared over holidays. Uh, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter's, Labor Days. Uh, and then, of course, kinsmen around Toronto Pride. I love that they consider that a holiday. Um, during MacArthur's sentencing Why hearing, are we not making that it in is America? Why is that not a holiday in it's America? It's totally a holiday. Even though we do get all the month um, of June. So. Yeah. During MacArthur's sentencing hearing, prosecutors said that eight of the victims had ties to church in Wellesley and had a social life in that community, physical similarities, which usually included facial hair or a beard, and six were from South Asia or the Middle East. Most had traits that made victimization more likely or the crimes harder to detect, such as living secret lives due to their sex sexual orientation or lack of stable housing. See, as we mentioned, it was against their religion, their culture, and then, of course, the one guy out of fear of uh, being deported. Uh, Skanda Navaratnam uh, was 40 years old, last seen in the early morning of September 6th of 2010, leaving a former gay village with an unknown man. A friend who saw him the day before said he was excited about having a dog, left his pet behind at the bar where he disappeared. He was reported missing around September 10th or 11th of 2010. He was romantically involved with MacArthur, whom he had met in 1999, and also worked for his landscaping business, where friends said they were still involved by 2008. He was a Tamil refugee from Sri Lanka and had no family members in Canada. Uh... Bazir or Bazar Faza was 42. He was last seen uh, December 28th of 2010. So again, that would have been around Christmas. He was leaving his workplace, uh, though banking records later placed him at church in Wellesley. His last night out included a stop at the Black Eagle Gay Bar um, and the Steamworks Bathhouse. He was an immigrant from Afghanistan. He lived in um, Iran, and while he lived there, a childhood friend had cautioned him about coming out as gay, saying that that, saying that he should find God or leave. Ooh. See, I like how they're going into the descriptions of these men, because like I mentioned, a lot of them from their cultures, it's just not going to be accepted that they're gay. Um, that conflict remained with Fozzie, who kept his gay life hidden from his family, including his wife and his children. A colleague said that he had been working overtime to ensure that his two daughters got everything they wanted for Christmas. He was reported missing on December 28th, or I'm sorry, December 29th, because he was last seen on the 28th, um, in a town west of Toronto. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry, his, his 2002 Nissan Sentra was found abandoned on Moore Avenue. Steps away from the Beltline Trail, a small ravine which was a popular cruising spot for gay men. Moore Avenue connects to Mallory Crescent and the Lee Side home where MacArthur stored his landscaping equipment. Um, in 2018, police charged MacArthur with his murder, which they believe occurred on the 29th of December. Hamad, or I'm sorry, Hamid Kahan, who was 58 years old, was last seen October 18th, 2012, in the gay village near Yonge Street in Alexander. He was reported missing by his son on October 25th. Kahan was an immigrant, um, again from Afghanistan, who fled to Canada after his wife and children, or with his wife and children in the late 80s. 
He divorced his wife in 2002, but was the son of a Muslim cleric. So he was definitely not coming out to his entire family. He suffered PTSD as the result of the Soviet-Afghan war, and he was a very heavy drinker. According to a bartender, he had been active in the gay village since the mid-90s and would stay at an apartment kept by his partner, who had also not come out to his family. Following the death of his partner, he was romantically pursued by MacArthur, whom he knew from the Black Eagle. His remains, again, were found in the ravine near MacArthur's Lee side home. Sarush Mahmoudi, who was 50 years old, was last seen alive on August 14th of 2015 by his home near Markham Road in Blake Manor in the South Cedarberry neighbor, I'm sorry, Cedarbury neighborhood. He was a manufacturing plant worker who lived with his wife, and police believe that MacArthur killed him on or about August 15th of 2015. His wife reported him missing in August. Mahmoudi had come to Canada as a refugee from Iran, and he did not have any family in Canada until he met his wife. They moved from Bari to Toronto to be closer to his wife's family. Police and his family had not correct, not connected him rather to Toronto's gay scene, though before his marriage, he was involved in a four-year relationship with a transgender woman he met at a bar. Andrew Kinsman, 49, was last seen on June 26 of 2017, again, as we mentioned, the day after Pride, um, south of the gay village near Winchester, residents of, again, Cabbage Town. He was reported missing on June 29. It has to be gay ones. Um, <laughs> a friend who last saw him said that Kinsman was happy and upbeat. Kinsman was known as a stable, responsible man, a superintendent of his building, um, and a volunteer worker. Uh, he had only, or he had known MacArthur for the last decade, and he was a bartender at the Black Eagle. He had been in a sexual relationship with MacArthur for some time, and he was seen carrying debris for him uh, in one of his landscaping projects in around 2011. Salim Asin, who was 44, was last definitively seen on March 20th of 2017 near Yonge Street, and Bloor Street, just west of the gay village, though there have been reports that he was last seen um, as late as April near Bloor Street and Ted Rogers Way in the gay village. He was reported missing by a friend on April 20th, and police initially described him as a man of no fixed address who often pulled a wheeled suitcase. A friend of his actually disputed this, saying that Essen was in a very unhealthy relationship and would stay at times with friends. Essen was a Turkish citizen who had first come to Canada to be with his partner who he had met in Turkey. According to that friend, he struggled with addiction but was getting control of his problem and had completed a, certi a certification course in peer counseling from St. Stephen's Community House just before he disappeared. MacArthur was also a client of St. Stephen's and a very trusted within the community support organization. MacArthur killed him on or about April 16th of 2017. Dean Lizowick, 43 or 44 years old, was never reported missing. He was a resident of Toronto's shelter system. He had periodically stayed at the Scott Mission on Spadina Avenue since 2003 and was last reported seen there on April 21st of 2016. He had faced struggles, including issues with substance abuse, but was very respectful. He was working on becoming a cleaner or a laborer and had previously worked as a prostitute. MacArthur killed him on or about April 23rd of 2016. That poor guy just sounded like wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. Karushna Kumar Kanagaratnam, who was 37 years old, was last in contact with his family on August of 2015, and he had not, he had also not been reported missing. 
he was the young man that was a refugee from Tamal, uh, one of 492 who had arrived in Canada in August of 2010. Uh, when his deportation order was given, he went into hiding um, and worked as a cleaner and a mover. MacArthur killed him on or about January 6th of 2016. Following an extensive coroner and pathology exam after Crown and defense lawyers had information needed for the trial, the victims' remains were all released back to their families. A memorial for Kinsman was held in September, and Mahmoudi and Essence funerals were held in mid-October. Lesowick's remains were laid to rest uh, in late October. Um, so I did want to go a little bit into the uh, legal proceedings, um, because I think more toward the end of this Wikipedia page, it kind of goes into, we kind of went more into the allegations of racism and victim blaming a little bit already because we talked about that uh which makes total sense i mean when you look at a case like this and like we said when you look at past cases involving the gay community specifically involving ethnic groups within the gay community there's going to be there there there's not going to be there shouldn't be but there have been reported cases of prejudice. And I'm sure that there is nothing new with this case as there has been with previous cases. And it's really sad because like we said before, this could have, not having that could have saved a lot of lives. If people hadn't looked at the fact of their ethnic groups or their gay affiliations, if people would have just looked at them, if, if the police would have just looked at them at people like, like, you know, they should. Exactly. Like you would think. <laughs> um, so, yeah, more importantly, I really want to get into the legal proceedings. Um, and then a part here about the term serial killer, because I'm a little, I'm really, I read over that previously, so I'm really interested. There's been, specifically in this case, there's been a uh, disagreement of sorts amongst certain um uh, psychiatrist and psychologist on whether the term serial killer would necessarily be uh, correct in terms of Bruce MacArthur's crimes. So I'm a little cur curious to get into that and see what you guys think about it. Um, but as far as leading proceedings, legal proceedings, um, I like leading proceedings. Me too. <laughs> um, in January of 2018, a publication ban was ordered on the court proceedings, limiting what could be reported to the media. MacArthur was detained at the Toronto South Detention Center. Torstar News Services reported on March 19th that he was being held in segregation and under constant suicide watch, which makes sense. On November 5th of 2018, MacArthur remained held at the Toronto South Detention Center at that time. He made his first court appearance on January 19th of that year, represented by his lawyer, Mary Ann Sully. He made another brief courtroom appearance on January 29th and subsequently attended via video link, represented by W. Calvin Rosemond of the legal defense firm Edward H. Royal & Partners. Rosemond's biography on the firm's website states that he believes guilty pleas ought to only be entered as a last resort. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, because if you're guilty, you're fucking guilty. Uh, Rosemond noted at a February 14th hearing that if MacArthur's third court appearance, appearance, without disclosure, Crown Attorney Mike Cantlin said his office received disclosure from the police on February 13th and was in the process of vetting and screening. In mid-March, Cantlin said one package of disclosures had been made to MacArthur's lawyers 
with more to be expected in the following week, some in excess of 10,000 pages owing to the case's complexity. So yeah, if most people don't understand what disclosures are, so of course it's a little bit different than um, American law. It's something, it's a, basically a law jurisdiction. It's a pre-law process that um, involves obtaining and ga gathering evidence from several different parties. Um, and a lot of that can be done. So as far as like interrogations, documents, requests for admissions, depositions, all different kinds of things like that. So in a case like this that spans as long as it did, there's going to be quite a few disclosures involved. Um, so by April 25th, Cantlin has said more evidence would be turned over to the defense before the next scheduled court date on May 23rd, at which time defense counsel said they would continue to receive disclosures. By June 22nd, the Crown stated that they had disclosed all evidence to the defense. A judicial pretrial was scheduled for June 20th. The closed-door meeting with the Crown and defense attorneys and judge was to address issues such as resolving the case without a trial, such as by entering a guilty plea. Uh, the length of the trial, procedural and evidentiary issues. Daniel Lerner, a Toronto defense lawyer and formal Crown Phenomena. Was, <laughs> I said he was formal. Formal. No, no he was former. He was a former. Former. I'm sure he's. I'm sure he's very formal too. Um, Crown former prosecutor Crown. suggested that the Crown would be considered uh, severing charges. Lerner noted that a long and complicated trial would only put burden on a jury and create risk for a mistrial. Kevin Bryan, a former detective with York Regional Police Forensics Unit, considered the amount of evidence to be cataloged and disclosed and believed a trial was years away. Yeah, so a jury trial, especially in something like this, even though where you may have all of the evidence, just conclusion without any doubt that they did it, there could still be a mistrial. Because you could have that one person. <laughs> that one fucking There's person. always that one person. Oh my God. Several media outlets had, uh, no, what? Ah, you're right. Sorry. No, my computer just went <laughs> No. Several media outlets, no. Yeah, it just like, to it just totally was like, we're going to take you all the way back to the start of the page. And that's what we're going to do. Start no. over. I don't know why I just sent that to the tune of my Sharona. I don't know why. I was like, start over. My Sharona. That Sharona. was amazing. <laughs> that was incredible. Um, so media outlets had applied for the release of the psychiatric and pre-sentencing reports from MacArthur's 2003 assault conviction. Because um, if you guys remember, that was pretty much the only thing that was left after they had destroyed it and he and it was expunged. James Miglin, an attorney for MacArthur, argued that this could risk his fair trial rights um, because that could give, it, it could it could basically give people like a preconceived notion. So it would risk him having a fair trial if they had evidence of him having a previous conviction that was violent. Um, Justice Leslie Chaplin, though, felt that the reports were generally positive towards him and released them on June 27th of 2018. Chaplin also allowed the media to view but not publish photographs of the victims, their injuries, the weapon use, citing fair trial rights and the victim's privacy. In court on October 5th, 
Cantlin said that negotiations and discussions were ongoing. <clears throat> All right. Um, so by January of 2019, TPS had announced that an anticipated significant development in his case um, was happening the following day. People queued outside the courthouse on uh, January 29th at 6 a.m. following a major snowstorm, and the hearing was moved to a larger available courtroom before Justice John McMahon MacArthur pled guilty to the eight first-degree murder charges ending the possibility of any trial. Because like I had mentioned, they were there was worries about a trial that not only would it be late for it to start, that there could also be the possibility of a, pre of a mistrial if it went to a jury. <clears throat> so that's why this was such a big announcement um, almost uh, six months after they announced that they were even going to trial for him to just plead guilty. And that could have very well been due, been been on the suggestion of his. I think the more evidence that started to mount against him, and I think this happens with a lot of trials, uh, attorneys just eventually go to their clients and they go, look, there's no point for this even going to trial. Like, it's just, this is just going to make it worse. There's enough evidence against you. You might as well just plead guilty. Um, and that's what he did. Uh, so reading from an agreed statement of fact, Cantlin divulged details of the killings, which took place in Toronto between 2010 and 2017. He said that each murder was either premeditated or involved other crimes, which qualified as first degree. Six were definitely sexual in nature. Five included confinement. MacArthur also kept trophies of his victims, including jewelry and a very detailed notebook. DNA from four of the victims had been found in his van. Catlin also outlined MacArthur's post-offense rituals. He had hundreds and hundreds of post-mortem digital photographs of his victims, which were recovered forensically after he tried to delete them. He also staged post-mortem <clears throat> photographs, typically with ropes around their necks, which was usually how they were murdered. He had them in fur coats or completely nude with a hat on. Sometimes he would shave their heads or their beards or keep their hair in Ziploc bags <sighs> and then shed it at Mount Pleasant no, Cemetery. No, in a shed. Or in he a shed. In a shed because he was a landscaper at Mount Pleasant Cemetery. He would also, he would pose them with cigars in their mouths too, which I don't understand. Uh, I don't understand. I was like, that's the part you don't understand? <laughs> I understand none of you, Bruce. None of you. Cantlin said that MacArthur sought out and exploited their vulnerabilities and made the crimes difficult to detect. He used sex to lure them, killing many in his bedroom with ligature strangulation. One photograph showed a rope around a victim's neck with a metal bar wrapped in a tape, a mechanism to control the pressure during strangulation. I wish I could remember what that term is called, but that was also apparently the way that JonBenet Ramsey was murdered. Mm. So it's any type of stick... In her case, it was a stick. In this case, it was a metal bar. And the way it's looped around the rope and then thrown around their neck, all you have to do, you don't even have to do anything with the rope. You just twist the bar and it twists the rope around their neck, strangling them. Um, Sounds like a horrible time. Yeah, it was 
Yeah, I just, I, there's a specific word for it, but I just happened to remember that that was also what was used in the Dominique Ramsey murder. Um, the bar was found in uh, MacArthur's 2017 van and had DNA from Kinsman and Essen on it. MacArthur's sentencing hearing began on February 4th of this year. A 2011 change to the criminal code permits a judge to order that parole and ineligibility uh, be served consecutively. For offenses that were committed after that year, which would include six of MacArthur's murders, the Crown asked for a 50-year parole ineligibility, citing the enormity of his crimes, his lack of remorse. He specifically declined the court. Sorry, to take a quick drink. Uh, the betrayals of his victims, the effect, the betrayal upon his victims, the effect of his crimes on the community, and how he had been a danger. Up up to his arrest. Minglin said that, <coughs> excuse me. You good? Good now. <laughs> Got that out. Minglin said uh, such would be unduly harsh given MacArthur's age. It's 66. He's not that old. Guy was shut the fuck up. In his, in his majority of his fucking 60s, he was able to kill all those people. So he's yeah, go advanced. fuck yourself. No. <coughs> so excuse me, advanced age, that's fucking bullshit. And uh, he had also noted that MacArthur had waived a preliminary trial and pled guilty, which benefited all involved in the proceedings. Yeah, I love how they're, I love how that's another thing that attorneys like to use that because that that for some reason needs to garner some type of mercy for these horrible murderers that, oh, well, you know, we pled guilty. So we saved you a lot of time and aggravation. So that should be taken into consideration. <laughs> okay. Oh, just because you admitted for what you were already going to get convicted for anyway, stupid? Congratulations. You said you were guilty. We didn't have to tell you. <laughs> you said what we already knew. Yay! <laughs> like, what the that's stupid. On February 8th of this year, Justice McMahon sentenced MacArthur to life in prison with no parole eligibility for 25 years. McMahon described the crimes as pure evil. That's an understatement. And stated that MacArthur showed no evidence of remorse and would have continued killing had he not been apprehended. That's that's true. I think that's totally true. I, I don't think he too. started in the 70s. I think he very well started in the early 2010s. But I think if he had not been caught, he would have kept doing this. Oh, yeah, for sure. He would have kept doing this. He had every reason Kinda to. Kind of like once you, once you had one lace chip, to. you gotta keep going. Which pop can't stop. Um, he just, he would have had every means to, and he would have just kept doing it. Because he didn't fucking care. He didn't care. He, as long as he would have kept he getting away with it. He don't give a fuck what just happened, but he don't really care. He doesn't get the fuck up out of there. <laughs> fuck that shit out of mouth. But you know what it all goes back to? These guys develop a superiority complex when they don't get caught the first time, second time. The third time. It becomes they a game. Automatically, yes. It becomes a game. A game they constantly get away with. So why not keep doing it if he wasn't gonna get caught? And he definitely morality. Well, he, he definitely, well, he would have, most definitely. Um, despite this, he felt that the sentence should not be one of vengeance given MacArthur's age and his guilty plea. MacArthur could apply for parole when he was 91, too good for him, but <laughs> okay. McMahon said that that would be highly unlikely and that he would be granted parole. They also, the Toronto Sun noted that MacArthur is overweight, 
and has diabetes and is unlikely to live that long. <laughs> he ain't even going to live till 91, whatever. He fat and he got the sugar. So he ain't going to live diabetes. till 91. He got diabetes. Diabetes. <laughs> he got, he fat and got the sugar. I just love how they're like, nah, he'll probably die. Like, no, he's going to die anyway. So anyway, um, just keep. Anybody who wants to put money on his commissary for as much honey buns as possible to kill him faster, let's do that. Uh, The controversy of the high-profile investigation included accusations of indifference between LGBTQ, radicalized, and racialized. Or racialized. Yeah, radicalized, too. And homeless. Radicalized homeless people. And homeless persons. Radical homeless people. Radical homeless people. Those radicals. Which, like we said, that very well could happen because it's happened before. Um, but specifically with the term of serial killer, I just thought this was really interesting, and this will be the last we touch on Mr. Bruce MacArthur. In mid-November of 2017, Richmond said that there was no evidence to establish or exclude that a serial killer was possible for the disappearances. Saunders told the community on December 8th, the evidence today tells us that there's not a serial killer. Police first said that they were dealing with an alleged serial killer on January 29th, 2018, confirming that some in the community had feared for years. Some questioned whether police were taking the concern seriously. Nikki Ward, who was a director of the Church Wellesley Neighborhood Association, asked, why weren't we listened to earlier? Perhaps some lives could have been saved if that was the case. Just like I said, Saunders responded that police were not being coy about community safety, but that he had been speaking of the evidence that had they had at that time. Saunders, who had been a homicide detective for nine years, was an investigator who first spoke in terms of evidence that would be presented in court. Itzinga said that the police knew something was up with the disappearances in Project Houston, and they had had hunches of a killer operating at Church and Willesley, but they could not say it without the evidence. TPS spokesperson Megan Gray noted that while there were theories connected to the disappearances, there had been no evidence at that time. So I think that police believe that there was a serial killer, but they didn't have enough evidence to say that it was a serial killer, which makes more sense. You don't want to jump the gun and say what it's not, because then you could instill um, panic panic and fear in the community. James Dubrow, a longtime Toronto crime journalist and past president of the Crime Writers of Canada, wrote in July of 2017 that a serial killer, though not ruled out by police, was highly unlikely. Jiang Lee, a University of Toronto associate professor who teaches a course on serial homicide, said in November of 2017 that the disappearances had the warning signs of a serial killer, but that remained unclear and that serial killers were rare. Sasha Reed, a University of Toronto PhD candidate specializing in statistical analysis of missing persons and sexually motivated killers, was compiling a missing persons database when she came across the Project Houston disappearances. She noticed a pattern and concluded that a serial killer was operating in Toronto. Because clearly there was a pattern with MacArthur's murders. Reed said that she informed police of her findings and provided a basic criminal profile in July of 2017, the month that Project Prism was actually created. She was, in fact, not contacted again by police, probably because her academic data could not be used in court. Reed's profile identified a suspect of color in his early 30s, which completely excluded MacArthur, so she was wrong there. Reed noted that the term serial killer was problematic as it defined and used um, different terms by various organizations, legal jurisdictions, researchers, and the media. Mike Arntfeld, a criminologist and Western University professor, had advocated data-based approaches to augment traditional investigative work, particularly in detecting elusive criminals like serial killers. His research team developed an algorithm to perform cluster analysis on 800,000 American murderers catalyzed 
by the Murder Accountability Project, which led to arrest in Cleveland and Chicago. I've actually heard of that. There is no equivalent database in Canada which lacks standardized reporting. Arntfeldt had been critical of the TPS for not admitting that there was a serial killer, suggesting that they had, could have made an arrest sooner if they had. He had made... So sorry about my annoying ass this, neighbor, This by the dog way. is going insane right now. Yeah, my neighbor sucks. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> he made a comparison to the Seminole Heights serial killer in Tampa Bay, Florida, which police warned the public of a serial killer by November of 2017, which led to over 5,000 tips reported, one which resulted in a arrest. On October 23rd of 2017, Tampa's interim police chief avoided the term serial killer when three victims had been killed with the same weapon... Um, it was only used after a fourth murder in November when police obtained surveillance video of the same suspect at two separate crime scenes. In comparison, the TPS said that they did not have evidence of a murder or that any of the suspicious disappearances were connected until January 17th, the day before MacArthur was arrested. The large number of tips generated in Tampa may have been influenced by a $100,000 reward offered at that time. So like we mentioned, um, or like I had mentioned previously, I think that the police had an idea that it was a serial killer, but they didn't want to come right out and say it was a serial killer until they had all of the evidence specifically pointing to it being a serial killer. And like we said, a lot of evidence was hard to obtain, A, because a lot of the men hid this, and that was a big part of the reason why MacArthur targeted them. But B, he used all of these dating apps, which took a long time to subpoena records for, because you had to, you know, there was the whole thing about confidentiality. And so you can't just break that because then you would have regular people that go on these sites that aren't using them for a bad reason saying, well, how, you know, how can I be sure that I'm signing up for something that's confidential when you guys are allowing police to come in and, um, you know, give grant search warrants and whatnot. But it's like, you know, I mean, you take the good and you take the bad. You know, like we said, these, if you want to use dating apps, if you want to use one night stand, I don't give a fuck whatever floats your boat. But like we said, Go with your gut instinct and be careful. You have no fucking clue. You have no idea. I mean, you may just get a weirdo that won't leave you alone, or you may get, you may end up in a fucking planter box. Like, you don't want that. <clears throat> I just don't understand what's up with these burying bodies and gardens and you planters to bring new and, life. and planters and shit. I also thought it was interesting that they checked the uh, sewage system, the drainage system. Because that was, you know, we hear... Was it because uh, of the poopers? The poopers. It was the poopers. You got to check the drainage system for the poopers because you just never know what could happen with the poopers. I don't know. Especially yeah. before sex. And after the cleanup. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was awful um so there, dark humor there really hasn't been a lot of media coverage Why? do i keep doing um, that tune i don't know um so there really hasn't been a lot of media coverage um and again that possibly could be because this is all fairly new uh you know 2017 was the last of the murders caught in 2018 trial ended pled guilty in 2019 um, the only thing I was able to see was that this year in 2019, 
uh, Justin Ling delve into the murders in Uncover the Village, the third season of the CBC investigative journalism podcast called Uncover. On August 2019, the CBC announced that Uncover the Village will be developed as the basis of a documentary television series. Um, so Uncover, yeah, if any of you guys want to check out that podcast, uh, again, it's called Uncover uh, by Justin Ling and in the third season of the podcast. Um, it's called The Village, where they talk about the uh, Bruce MacArthur homicides in Toronto. Um, but yeah, apparently we and that's the only thing I've seen. Us and the Uncover podcast are the only two podcasts that have done anything about these crimes. So. Oh, snap. Look at that's that. That's why I said this was a really awesome find. Mm. I mean, not only to have the tie-in with Christmas. I mean, like they said, even one of the... All of the murders somehow seem to happen around holidays, but two of them were specifically around Christmas, and it just so happened that this guy also worked in his office. Um, and that this crime happened really, like, again, I mean, he was convicted this year, so it, like, just happened. But that is all I, all we have on Mr. Uh, one thing before we end on... One more thing before we do all of our fun announcing stuff. Sorry, I didn't know Casper had one more thing to mention. This was actually um, that separate article from the Dayton Daily News that had some mentions from the victims' families. I'm not going to read it because it's we, we've pretty much covered all the information on him. But if you wanted to read this article, it kind of gives some information as far as the um, victims' families actually get to speak. Um, it is Dayton Daily News, local in-depth, always updated. Disturbing details emerge as Toronto serial killer Bruce MacArthur admits killing eight men. It is by Crystal Bonvillian, Cox Media Group, National Content Desk. And it was uploaded Thursday, February 7th of this year. So if you just Google Bruce MacArthur, it's like the third article that comes up. Yeah. Give it a read, <laughs> just if you want a little bit more information on him, since... Not a lot of people know about him, and since this is kind of new to everybody. And our condolences <clears throat> again to his families, yes. uh, to the victims' families, rather. And um, yeah, this was just a horrific crime. And um, But again, we are glad that we were able to bring it to you guys, especially with it being one that isn't as well known, that not everybody knows about. Um, and also just as, again, a fair warning to all to just be fucking careful out there. People are crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's an God un is that's great. like understatement of the year. God is great. Beer is good. And people, people are crazy. crazy. I was going to say people be crazy. That sounds better, actually. I like it better than that. I mean, it's a country song. We can make it R&B. God is good. White Claw is great. People be crazy. <laughs> Anyway, um, White Claw is pretty good. White Claw is not. White Claw is not an avocado. And it does Baby. not taste like Zima. I don't know who the fuck. Okay, so somebody said it tastes like Zima. It I does like not taste Zima. like Zima. And I like, I didn't want to try it because somebody tasted like Zima and it does not taste like Zima. I told you it didn't. I was like, mm -mm, it does not taste it like Zima. at all. It no. just tastes like. It just tastes like seltzer water. The quaff. That's all it tastes like. <laughs> it tastes like what? Lacroix. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> different. Lacroix? <laughs> the 
Or as I say, Lacroix. Claw. <laughs> it sounds like you're saying the claw. That's why I'm like, the what? The claw. <laughs> Lacroix. Or uh, Buble water. Michael Buble water? Yeah. <laughs> what is your flavor of blue blay? Blue blay. Blue, blue blay. <clears throat> Guys, it's been two hours and we are crushing now. With Blue Blay and La Claw. I love it. Okay. Anyway, hope you enjoyed, guys. Did you enjoy? This was fun. In Weasel Town? Fun stuff, as always. <sighs> okay, guys. So next week, you know, next week is our film episode on all the Black Christmases. Black Christmas 1, Black Christmas Remake, Black Christmas Remake of Remake. <laughs> Black Christmas Christmas. <clears throat> Black Christmas 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 Christmas. So if you want to tune in next week, which uh, you better want to, um, <laughs> my brain's like, um, please tune in next week and hear the um, episode all about Black Christmas. There will be spoilers because we will be talking about the new one. Obviously not everyone will have seen it yet. But we will be like, we're about to talk about it. If you want to hear, listen. If you don't, don't. Um, we're also going to Dent's Schoolhouse on Saturday night to do the Krampus Haunt. Super stoked about that. Krampus! Fun Krampus. Um, and I'm actually a- really excited, guys, because I do not do haunted houses. And as you all know, uh, I had a really bad experience as a child. But I have a feeling with this one, I'm going to jump and then laugh my ass off. So I'm looking forward to it. I had a girl <laughs> last year come up to me and to ask me, she was wearing a wedding dress. She said something about getting married. And I was like, yeah, let's get married. Let's do it right here. She was like a zombie girl. And I was like, let's do it. <laughs> I think I caught her off guard real bad too. Cause she was kind of looking at me like, I don't know what to say. And I was like, let's get married. Let's do it. Like I'm, huh? <laughs> I mean, she was cute. Why not? Like what, 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 what? Um, also happy Friday the 13th to everybody since that's coming up this Friday. Happy Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, so yes, tune in next week for the Black Christmas episode. And now, a word from our sponsor. (laughs) Calm your body down. (laughs) I love that. Sponsor. 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 Um, guys, so the Christmas bath bombs are still, uh, on the site, the, uh, peppermint candy canes and the sugar cookie bath bombs. Um, thank you. Uh, big shout out to, um, Danielle. Thank you so much. Is that our uh, Danielle? Our Danielle! Oh my God! (laughs) Posting about, um, the lip balm or the lip balm. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I mean, you can put it on your lips if you want to. I mean... You can totally do that if you want to. I mean, if you want to. It's for your body. Your lips are on your body. That's very true. You you could use it on your entire body if you want to. God's lips look delicious. (laughs) I don't know why you were just talking about that. My my mind was like, Christmas songs. Do you remember that part in Baby It's Cold Outside when he says your lips look delicious? Because you were like, sugar cookie. We love you, Danielle. For real. Jesus Thanks Christ. for being so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I've killed Becky over here. <laughs> She's so done. 
Guys, you know that we have reached past that point. If it's like just hysterical laughter starts coming out, that means like, oh my God, we've hit the wall. Slap happy time. Um, slap happy. Slap happy time. Um, but no, seriously, Danielle, thank you so much <laughs> for um, posting about that. Um, the peppermint body cream, um, I was mentioning to her earlier today, um, it can be used just like the regular vanilla body cream. Um, but I did mention that a lot of people like to use it around this time of year on their feet. Um, peppermint is a great, great deterrent for dry cracked feet. It's also really good in aiding with, uh, foot funguses, which can happen around this time of year if you don't wear very well insulated socks. So, um, it is, if it's something that people would like to try, everything, including the bath bombs is still 20% off with the see your BD 20 code. Now the 40% off code will come back in two weeks before Christmas. So make sure everybody orders, uh, by December 20th to ensure shipping by Christmas and the 40% off will come back, um, right before Christmas. So two more weeks till Christmas. Um, DFWTO for free shipping on everything and thank you again guys this is ass you guys all we've done is make her face smell like a foot <laughs> I'm really busy with choir <laughs> oh, my- <laughs> oh my god that line every I, there's never a time that I cannot watch that movie and she says we made her face smell like a foot I laugh every fucking <laughs> Time. So if you do want to put it on your lips, <laughs> your face, <laughs> that lip balm. And it's like... Danielle's probably wouldn't listen to this and be like, oh my God, what the fuck? <laughs> You're awesome. We love you. Um. Oh yeah, that's my cue. Calm your body down. Calm your body down. We have bath bombs and lip balm, apparently. <laughs> Make your face smell like a foot. Peppermint foot. (laughs) On your cheeks, maybe your lips. We do not care. (laughs) Buy all the things. (laughs) Okay, I'm done. Anyway, so if you want to follow us on social media, please do that. We have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Don't Fuck With The Original. Twitter handle is DFWTO8811. Make sure to spell it out to the letter or you will not find us. Same with following us on podcasts. On podcasts. On podcast Follow apps. our podcast on podcasts. Follow our podcast on podcasts. <laughs> we are on Podbean, CastBox, Podcast Player, Podcast Addicts, and Spotify. Give us a follow, give us a subscribe, and you'll find out when we put out new we put out new videos every Wednesday. Why do I keep fucking doing that? It's just Jenna so Marbles in my head. To do it. Um because for sure we will be back next Wednesday, but the Christmas episode, obviously, Christmas lands on a Wednesday. So it in will two weeks. Christmas is in two weeks. It's in two Fridays. Deck the halls with fuck my life. Fa la 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 la. Fuck my life. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, guys, so we will see you. <coughs> <coughs> I am sorry. We will see you next week. We love you so much. Okay, bye. Bye. I can't stop.